Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. My name is Michael Kelly, and with us, as always, Mr. Nathan Bear. Nathan. Yes, Mike. Yes. Yes. You are here, correct? I am. Physically, spiritually, and uh, even sexually. Sexually here, as always, Mr. Nathan Bear. Um, So, we have... We have survived the gauntlet of the High Sci series, and we are free uh, now to talk about the first entry in the Millennium series, um, which was Godzilla 2000. Yes. And it's a, sort of a unique film because, for, for me, because it's the only Godzilla movie that I've seen in a theater mm-hmm. when it came out. I remember when it came out. In, uh, in 2000, although in Japan it was released in 1999, uh, December 12th, I believe. Mm. Um, but it was really, it was made right after um, the TriStar Pictures uh, Godzilla American version. Which, if you can call it a Godzilla movie. Right. Which, to be clear, and I, you know, I've sensed some concern uh, from people I've, I've kind of been talking to for the last week. Telling them about Godzilla 2000, which they, of course, have never heard of. And they're sort of like, wait a minute, 2000? That was two years after 1998. Oh, wait, wait, you're not going to talk about the TriStar one? And uh, I'm we're, I'm here, I'm telling you right now, yes, we're going to get to Godzilla 1998 in due time. However, since it is not really a Godzilla movie, uh, we wanted to keep... You know, keep going forward in the the actual real continuity of the actual real Godzilla films. So, uh, we, you know, we'll talk about it in its due time. It's still there. We haven't forgotten about it. And it'll definitely be mentioned uh, in a couple upcoming episodes because it does pay a slight uh, a reference in uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Battle for whatever. Yeah. That one. Uh <laughs> Um, so it, we we will get to it. Back to the matter at hand, Godzilla two thousand. Godzilla two thousand. Yeah. Directed by uh, Mr. Taco. Mr. Taco. Mr. Taco. Yes, Mr. Taco. Uh, which uh, those of you who don't know, Taco in Japanese actually refers to octopus. So uh, if you're looking for tacos in Japan. Uh, make sure to, you know, uh, be specific that you are looking for uh, Mexican cuisine and not fried octopus balls, which are actually quite tasty. Actually, I've had, I haven't had fried octopus balls, but I've had little, um, fried octopus tentacles. Yeah. They put them in like, uh, these little batter trays and they're the... the, But but like, like, yeah, did, did you get the ones that were like... The chopped like tentacle put in like the dough ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To octopus balls. Yeah. Oh, octopus <laughs> balls. Yes. I not not, not referring like to genitals. like testicles. No, no, that would be wrong. <sighs> I was way human. off. Anyways, um, so since Godzilla vs. Destroya, Tanaka has died. Yes. Uh, and the rights to the Godzilla franchise were uh, given were handed over to TriStar and uh, Mr. Roland Emmerich to create. A Americanized Godzilla film, uh, which in theory is not a bad idea. You know, Hollywood is known for making magic. Uh, you know, there it, it is. You know, disappointed us before, but it was the '90s. Um, 
you know, and with the 70s and 80s behind us, there was this idea that we'd keep going with this, like, really good, happy mojo. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Uh, Roland Emmerich is, uh, I believe, a disgrace to not only the Godzilla franchise, but to gays and Austrians world round. Uh, just... right. And the Austrians didn't need any more disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so as if Austria, you know, hadn't had enough shit on its hands. Now this guy comes around and says, "Hey, you know it would be a really, really good idea. I'm going to take Godzilla, cut his balls off, and then have him jump around like a velociraptor for <laughs> two and a half hours." The Japanese were quite po'd naturally, so they decided to give Godzilla his balls back and create. Godzilla 2000, a.k.a. Godzilla Miranium, which is uh, my bastardization pronunciation of the Japanese title. So, um, with this, we get a much improved Godzilla film. Uh, the High Size series was pretty, um, you know, well, decently shot and pretty good special effects. Uh, overall, not uh, the best batch of films to come out. But with this film, while we have uh, a veteran director of the High Size series, he definitely starts to take risks, which is important in keeping a film fresh. So the cover, everything down to like the the coverage of the shots, or like how the shots are composed, using big, you know, Kubrick wide angle lenses at some points, you know, just. Um, really freshens up the atmosphere, uh, giving it this, like, almost a John Melius feel at times with just the aggression that some of the characters have, Um, you know, which was definitely, this type of passion was, in the original series, definitely present, but in the High Size series, completely drained of. There is humor, there is, you know, bits of pathos, but... You know, uh, the High Size series just felt that those weren't important for a gritty remake. Now, take the... Yeah. I mean, it's just it's interesting that it is Taiko uh, Akawara directing it and that he directed, you know, Godzilla vs. Mothra, Battle for Earth, and um, Mechagodzilla 2, and Destroya, because those movies... There's a much wider range of shots mm-hmm. and things that he tries. Like, I wonder if, you know, he was given free reign to try these new things because they were just like, you know, we have to bring back Godzilla and it's got to be the most spectacular thing ever. And, like, mm-hmm. they really were trying. Or if um, it was just the simple fact that, um, you know, four years had passed and the technology was just that much more advanced and and so that freed him up to do shots um such as you know the the when, when the defense force is is fighting him near the the bay area and you have that kind of long pull away shot of him walking out of the water and then in the background and mm-hmm. he keeps getting further and further away but keeps in perspective you know and and then one of the planes kind of comes into the foreground of the shot um very complicated and like they they never even flirted with anything like that in the in the older films um so it is interesting to see i i guess he's just grown as a director i mean this is just yeah. a much better film 
Definitely. And maybe some of it has to do with uh, Mr. Tanaka's passing and not to knock Mr. Tanaka, invaluable producer and changed, you know, uh, not just Japanese cinema, but uh, the films that he produced ended up changing world cinema as a whole. I mean, think about it. without uh, the Toho monster films and without Kurosawa's movies, we wouldn't have had Star Wars, which, you know, changed the technology even further and then without that we probably wouldn't have later have gotten the lord of the Rings series which again pushed the boundaries so um but you know sometimes while there are some directors and producers who do get better with age or who are able to last i think uh, mr tanaka's you know last few films it was this is mine this is my child i want to hold on to it so he's just you know helicopter parenting the operation i think maybe possibly with his passing that you know the everyone felt like well we can do it differently now we can see what was right about the good ones and play with that a bit. And I think it comes out well. Yeah. I, you know, I, I remember uh, when the film came out, seeing it and not loving it the way I thought I would. Or uh, liking it the way I thought I would. Um, but still enjoying it. Mm-hmm. You know, still having a good time with it. But after recently going through and watching all of the high size series, comparatively, this is a masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like, there's so much more to latch onto as far as characters, action, setups, the, the way the scenes go together. And I mean, I guess it should be stated that I'm talking about the, um, the U S cut, which yes. is 97 minutes, yeah. uh, as opposed to the Japanese version, which is 107 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they definitely tighten things up. And I've heard that the Japanese version is, is really, really in desperate need of those cuts. Mm-hmm. And I could not force myself to watch it at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I needed a fun Godzilla movie. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Toho was all for the American tightening and changing and even adding some uh, sound effects. Um, and surprisingly enough, uh, this movie did not do as well in Japan as it did in the United States, at least... Uh, it, I think, or well, it, 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 how okay. it, the reception. It, yeah, I mean, it grossed $15 million, uh in Japan, and it grossed between um, 10 and $12 million in the U.S., mm-hmm. but it took about $10 million to uh, advertise. Yeah. <laughs> because America, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, they, they ended up making about $2 billion on it or whatever. And this is like the last, um, well, the first since 1984 and the last since 1984 to have been shown in theaters. I remember seeing the trailers for it as a kid because uh, I, I had always heard, and especially after the 98 version, you always knew the name Godzilla. It was right. around. And so when the trailer came up for Godzilla 2000, it was like, oh my God, he's back. Even though I had never seen a single Godzilla film and I didn't even see that one. Um, until many years later, uh, when I had seen, uh, the other ones. Um, but yeah, it, um, it was definitely, it had a big, you know, the fact that it was theatrically released is uh, pretty significant. Right. Um, it's definitely, you know, a def, uh, it's a sign of improvement mm-hmm. and, and a sign that we're, we're sort of moving on, uh, in, in sort of a new and exciting direction with the series, which is really cool. And, you know, even though Akira Fukubei's 
you know, musical themes are referenced a few times. Uh, it's, it's a new score by, uh, well, it's a Space Godzilla composer, uh, Takeyuki Hattori comes back. And mm-hmm. this, is, this is sort of his, his swan song from the series. I don't think he uses any of the themes from Space Godzilla. If he did, I didn't recognize mm-hmm. any. And I think he does a pretty good job. Um, the music that most often comes to mind when you say Godzilla 2000 to me, though, is definitely Super Beast by Rob Zombie. Because they played it in the trailer? Because it was in the trailer. And, like, the week before Godzilla 2000 came out, it was just, like, pumping in my head the whole time. Like, yes! Godzilla! He's back! He's gonna blow stuff up! And to put things in context, I liked the 1998 Godzilla, but the fact that there was... A, the kind of a real one coming mm-hmm. out. And I was like, see, you guys, we're all going to see this. And it's going to be amazing. And like, it's going to have Rob Zombie on the soundtrack and everyone, you know, everyone will understand, you know. And uh, I, I saw it with my brother and um, my best friend, Nate, and, um, you know, some, some, some other people. And <laughs> I think they enjoyed themselves, but it wasn't quite the life-changing experience. But uh, we were... We were all a little disappointed that Rob Zombie wasn't actually on the soundtrack, but uh, whatever. That is mm. what I—that is what I think of musically when I think of this movie. Um, but you know, Hattori does does a fine job, and definitely, you know, I hate to say it, but getting rid of uh, Fuku Bay, you know, as the as the composer, again infuses it with more energy and and new energy. Yeah, and it's like okay, it's it's more of a clean break. Now, on that note, it's sort of interesting because this movie, you can see it, uh, you know, the Millennium series has a lot of hard continuity resets mm-hmm. in it. And you can sort of look at this one as kind of a soft continuity reset if you want to. If you, if you want to, you can just look at it like some other Godzilla-related things happened mm-hmm. in the past – like, the people know of Godzilla, but no other films are specifically referenced. Right. So if you wanted to, you could just say that this was, this is a little little baby Godzilla Jr. from the High Size series uh, four years later. Yeah. And the, the tiny bit of continuity that could work for that theory is the fact that Godzilla's fire breath in this movie is red, even though it is traditionally blue and or black and white. Right. Uh, <laughs> they change it again pretty quick, but... Yeah. Um, you know, if you wanted to, yeah, you could kind of pretend that this is just another high side movie, and it, you know, it was made by one of the directors and one of the composers from those films. So, you know, you could kind of do that, or you could just see it as a as a reset and a clean break. Mm-hmm. And either way, um, it works. And that is sort of the key phrase with this movie. It just uh, it just works better. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, yeah, there are some special effects in this movie that just do not hold up, but... Overall, oh, not at all. Like when they show this... You know, there's one scene where he's underwater yeah. swimming, and he's like, it's a completely CG Godzilla, which I do not think they had attempted before that, except in, like, showing him on, like, screens or monitors or whatever. Yeah. But actually having him be there, and it looks okay. K, it would have been yeah. passable for like 1994, <laughs> but like, yeah. yeah, it's no good now. But because the fact that the characters are at least more compelling and more like sinister in a certain way, 
uh, that makes it overall worth it. Because, uh, well, let, let's go over the actors, for example. You've got uh, uh, Hiroshi Abe as uh, Mitsuo Katagari, um, who is, uh, he, he's basically the antagonist of this film. Uh, you know, a well-known actor, uh, he might remember him, those of you who are fans of the Criterion Collection may know him from the uh, film Still Walking, Aritimo, Aritimo. Um, but this is like one of his earlier films, and he just plays a cold-hearted Godzilla is my enemy. I have to destroy him. I, I, I feel like this film is really the story of, of Katagori losing his soul. Yeah. Because he seems sort of human at the beginning of it. He doesn't seem that bad. Like, his main flaw is that he just wants to kill Godzilla, yeah. which is certainly understandable. But by the end of it, he is sanctioning murder. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, of not of Godzilla, of humans. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's sort of his fall from grace. So, but it, I think it just, it, it shows an interest, and while there's no backstory given to him, which would have been interesting, it's just the fact that his obsession keeps getting worse. It builds, and it isn't just, I'm a bad guy, it's, you know, he, right. he does it, you know, in, in so many different ways, and as you said, it risks the lives of other human beings, and in the end, he is personally destroyed by Godzilla. It's like, this is his fate. This is like, you know, well, if I'm going to go, I have to go this way. He's right. just so deliciously obsessed. He kind of reminds me of Ben Johnson and John Mulius' Dillinger, where he plays uh, Melvin uh, Purvis, uh, who the man who kills Dillinger. And uh, Ben Johnson at one point, you know, says, these cigars are expensive and I intend to smoke them over each and every one of their corpses. You know, that's what he reminds me in this and, movie. Yeah, and Category is very almost fetish, fetishistic about smoking yeah. in this movie. And he makes a long, he, he, you know, he takes his time and makes a big deal out of smoking at extremely important moments when other things are going on. He'll stop everything and just long, you know, drag a cigarette out from the pack and light it up. Of course, uh, most obviously during his, his eventual demise, but, you know... It's, I don't know. It's great character choices. Yeah. And, uh, I'm just so excited to be talking about something an actor did in one yeah. of these movies again. Uh, and then you've got uh, Takahiro uh, Maruta, who um, plays uh, Yuji Shinoda. Uh, now, Maruta was in Godzilla vs. Mothra Battle for Earth, as well as, uh, I believe he was in Godzilla vs. Destroy as well. Um, he looks familiar, yeah, definitely. Playing, playing. I mean, playing different characters, but in this one, uh, he plays a member of what? G. Uh, G the Godzilla forecasting network or something. Yeah. Ba basically, they take the concept from Twister and make it interesting. Right. Uh, so they, uh, he and his daughter, um, Io uh, Shinoda, they go around tracking Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, and they, for, for such, for, you know, such a idea, it actually, they play it out well in this film. Yeah. Their chemistry, like, really works together. And then, uh, rounding out the cast, we've got Yuki, mm -hmm. who is portrayed by... Naomi Nishida. Naomi, yes. Um, who is a reporter who's sort of helping out, uh, Shinoda... And um, it's, it's sort of the classic reporter-scientist relationship kind of restored yeah. to its original sheen. Uh, so, yeah, 
good characters, good actors, and doing some cool stuff. So, much more watchable. Yes. <laughs> much, much more watchable. Now it's time to dissect the plot. Nathan. Ooh, yes, yes. So, Godzilla 2000 opens up. How does it open up? Uh, with the Toho logo. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, then, then, then black and uh, so, some sound that kind of leads into, uh, well, okay. What happens is is that uh, we briefly see Yuji uh, and Io. And Yuki playing around with a lot of equipment. Uh, Yuki being a uh, photojournalist, she is uh, polishing her camera. Because uh, remember, remember when uh, you know, for a camera you used to have to use film. Uh, yeah, there's this stuff called yeah, there's stuff <laughs> called film. <laughs> so uh, they're all playing around with a bunch of imaginary equipment, and it looks like. The beginning of like a twister ripoff. Actually, it just like the, it looks like they're preparing for a storm. Cut to uh, the lighthouse. The lighthouse guard guy is walking around, and uh, suddenly he notices there's uh, something not quite right out the window. And it turns out it's Godzilla. Yes. And then we see the Godzilla 2000 logo appear well, out he, of Godzilla's he, eyes. Yeah, he's he's uh, has a ship. In his, in his mouth, mouth. <laughs> he has a he's bitten onto a boat. Yep, and um, he bites it in half, and the guy goes all the way down the to the bottom of the lighthouse, and he, he runs out. I think he's trying to escape, and um, he he like dodges half of you know the the ship as it like falls out yeah. of Godzilla's <laughs> mouth, and then Godzilla knocks over this. Um, 
tower uh, <laughs> and um, and it barely misses him. Yeah. This, this guy is like so lucky. <laughs> Um, but anyways, it, then it goes back to our heroes who are doing the the storm chasing equivalent of, of you know tracking Godzilla in uh, you know the, their sport utility vehicle that yes. is outfitted with uh, floodlights. Yes, the best the early aughts could uh, provide or late nineties could provide. That's correct. Yeah. And um, they drive into this tunnel, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they go and they come out the other side of the tunnel and the road has just been destroyed. And um, they sort of turn on the lights and they kind of look up and Godzilla is just sort of standing there kind of just looking at them and he kind of blows his breath out of the windshield. And it's um, clearly a callback to um, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. <laughs> Um, and it also confirms that Godzilla indeed breathes oxygen or yes. exhales carbon dioxide as well as uh, atomic breath. So interesting. Um, but yeah, um, Sh- Shinoda is like, don't move, don't do anything. And then Yuki like just kind of accidentally takes like 20 flash bulb, you know, photographs of Godzilla and, um, Remember, accidentally. <laughs> accidentally, I guess. I don't know. I mean, she could have gotten them killed. Um, at that point, she's dead weight, you know. Like, I'm sorry. There's no excuse. Um, but anyways, so the, then, uh, you know, the flashbulbs in, in sort of the King Kong style, like, kind of scare Godzilla or get his attention. Pisses him off, basically. And uh, he... Goes on the rampage, uh, trying to to attack them and and destroy them, or just to investigate. But with Godzilla, oftentimes with you know when he investigates things, they end up destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know he doesn't have you know the soft touch, as it were. And so you know he's he's stepping through the tunnel as they're pulling back. It's a really cool, it's a dynamic, you know, sequence, and. Uh, it tells you right away that like oh they're trying new things they're doing new things you know this is exciting this is engaging there's action there's action in this one and uh, I got the impression because basically for the next twenty minutes of the movie it's just sort of Godzilla going through various power stations and he goes into this sort of medium sized city slash very very large uh, village. And kind of is destroying stuff. And I kind of got the impression that Godzilla is just following this car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, because, you know, there's this kind of ominous thing where it's like Godzilla is always walking towards them. Yeah. You know, they're like, you know, 15 miles away or whatever. They stop the car, they get out, they look at him, and he's like still walking towards them. They get back in the car, they go another 10 miles, he's still coming towards them. So that. That, I thought, was what they were trying to get at, but, I mean, who knows? He certainly never catches up with them, and eventually they outrun him. But, like, yeah. uh, you know, maybe the case could be made that they are responsible for all the deaths <laughs> that he caused there. Whoopsie! <laughs> um, also, when he, he, he roars at, like, point-blank range at this car and actually breaks the windshield. Yeah. Uh, which I think... Probably everyone in the car would go deaf at that point. Yeah. Um, for something that loud. But as they're driving away, Shinoda turns on the uh, the windshield wipers because uh, Yuki's like cold, but mm-hmm. there's no windshield anymore. So yeah. it's just wiping nothing. And uh, 
uh, Shinoda's like, I thought it would distract you. <laughs> and uh, which was a revelation when I saw it this morning because I was like, oh, there's actual jokes in this movie. There's actual wit, you know. There's, there's, you know, there's humor, you know, which was like cause for celebration. <laughs> um, Champagne all around. They, they introduce um, Kataguri at this point. Yes, because he's at a... He's at a, a, big, like a like, banquet or whatever. A banquet for, you know... You know, uh, businessmen and army professionals, which he seems to kind of like, he's not, he's a powerful person, but he's not quite like a general or anything. He's just, you know. Well, he's the head of the, like the GSI or whatever it's called. And, you know, it's, it's that great movie thing where it's like. As the camera's sort of coming up to him for the first time, some guy pats him on the shoulder. He's like, ah, head of the GSI network at only 32 years old. <laughs> it's like with this one line, this extra essentially has set up the guy's age, like his place, you know, and kind of like give it his whole character. So he yeah. doesn't have to say or do anything. It's um, just like this guy is young, reckless, and, <laughs> and uh, potentially you know, willing to put other people's lives in jeopardy to satisfy his craving to destroy Godzilla. His, uh, his underling informs him that a, shall we say, meteorite in the ocean has been found and it's starting to warm up or there's something has happened to it. They, right. He orders an excavation of it and he wants it put up, uh, brought up to the surface, um, immediately mm-hmm. and so that so project these, starts yeah so two two parallel storylines you know godzilla is destroying the city uh, or several cities and towns and then the parallel is that there's this meteor underwater that uh, g-force also believes is important so uh yeah we established probably in the first uh, 20 minutes or so mm-hmm. that at some point shinoda uh, new category. Uh, it almost Correct. seems like they were partners at right. some point, and they had a falling out. Because uh, category wants to destroy Godzilla. That is his belief, whereas Shinoda believes that he sh- that Godzilla needs to be studied, and that Godzilla has the answers. And this is basically the same uh, ethical question that was brought in the first Godzilla movie, where Dr. Yamane thinks that Godzilla shouldn't be destroyed. Yes, he's terrible, but, you know, the the fact that such a beast exists, this is a scientific wet dream. Right. You know, this is something that should be studied. Right. And, you know, the way um, Category is depicted in the first half of this movie, I found it very difficult Mm -hmm. uh, to root against him. Mm -hmm. Because he's only just taking the most logical steps to assure the security of Japan. Yes. You know, again, I, I hate to keep harping on this, but Godzilla should be destroyed as soon as possible. If he was real, <laughs> if Godzilla actually existed, I would be the, you know, the first list, the first name on the uh, petition to, uh, to use the nuke. <laughs> you know, it's like, we have to kill this thing immediately. Like, you can study the destruction afterwards, yeah. you know. You can take some videotape of it. I'm sure there'll be plenty of cells left over in the corpse, you know. But this guy is uh, wiping out real estate at alarming rates. Uh, and uh, and uh, human beings. And human <laughs> beings. Human real estate. And, uh, you know, yeah. So I... 
I think you could make the argument that Category uh, is not necessarily the bad guy, you know, except that the way he carries himself is sort of in the classic Toho villain style, where he is, you know, just his overall general mood is extremely intense and focused, and fuck you, I'm going to do it my way. So his character is basically one where the ends overall do not justify the means. And uh, I think that's his character flaw. Yeah. We're going to go with the Hollywood standard, you know, the the fatal flaw is the fact that while he is determined, and maybe he does have right on his side, how he goes about, you know, to this, to what end, you know, is this helping us or hurting us more, where he ends up causing, in some ways, more destruction than the monsters. Right. Um, The kind of... There's a scene where Godzilla is destroying, I believe it's not a nuclear power plant, but an electrical uh, facility, a generator facility. And um, Shinoda looks at it and kind of surveys the scene and he just kind of says offhand, he's trying to destroy our energy sources, which seems like a pretty specific... Uh, conclusion to mm-hmm. jump to. I mean, that's that's really putting a lot of intelligence in what I think are just probably just random acts of destruction. Yeah, um, that's that's like saying when an elephant is stampeding at like a circus or something. You know, it's it's rebelling against you know the ideology of the ringmaster's politics or whatever. It's like, no, it's just an elephant. <laughs> Godzilla's just just destroying stuff. He's yeah. not specifically targeting anything. He's not capable of that. Um, yeah. But the, the, Shinoda does that a lot in the movie where mm-hmm. he's like, he, he'll just notice something and say what, you know, what he thinks it is. And people will be like, oh, okay. <laughs> kind of like film critics, you know, right. who will point, there are certain film critics who are just so into their own bullshit, they will try and find metaphors and things that do not exist. Uh, many of these critics are French. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's see, we've all we, we've insulted Austrians and the French. Yes, yes. So far, I got I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but the auteur theory is dangerous. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the, the films are created by masses of people. And, you know, while there's some truth to the auteur theory, I believe that it, you know, puts a lot of good people like Ashiro Honda and Michael Curtiz, you know, to the wayside when they are perfectly good directors. Well said, sir. There you go. Um, Where were we? <laughs> yes. So, um, at some point, uh, Shinoda's daughter is using an original iMac. Yes. Which I was like... Yes. I remember those in school. We had was, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> we had we had the um what is it the, the not granite but uh graphite. Graphite. The graphite colored so it's uh, like a grayish kind of grayish uh one. I think we still have it uh in the you, in my uh, parents basement. You, you didn't get the, the house bright we grew up blue one? I mean the negative. bright blue one was the best. I mean Oh, it was very You could just look at it. <laughs> it was extremely fabulous. However, the graphite one was uh fully loaded with like all the movie making software and stuff and um I don't remember why we bought that one, but I thought it looked pretty cool and still does. It's uh you know, it no longer works. <laughs> I took it to college and destroyed it. Um, sorry, mom and dad. Um, but uh, yeah, at one point, uh, 
the the daughter character has one of the original IMAX, which was sort of like cool, yeah. and we kind of like where we're at yeah. at the series. And we should mention that the daughter character is uh, not only comic relief, but she's also like one of the more ad- uh, of the three uh, main characters. She is like the most adult. Yeah. You know, or, sorry, of the three protagonists, she is the most adult. She actually takes care of the finances, the cooking. I mean, she's doing making like she. Yeah. Well, she is like uh, Penny from Inspector Gadget. Yes, uh, like Shinoda should be dead about forty <laughs> times over, <laughs> and she keeps saving his sorry ass. And she, you get the idea that she's really the only person who actually knows how all the equipment works. <laughs> and Shinoda's just there because like he's too embarrassed to have the facade fall away and just be like. Uh, no, my daughter's actually a genius, and uh, I'm a fool, and I'm just you know, watching over her. Like, no, no, no. He's like, but no, I, I think she's actually calling the shots. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Kataguri uh, organizes the, the excavation of the um, meteorite at this point, which looks sort of like oblong and <laughs> suspiciously disc-shaped. Mm-hmm. Um, he mounts several... They look like weather balloons on them, but they're, they're used to sort of float the, uh, the meteorite from where it is lying, which, if we haven't hit upon this, it's, at, it's buried uh, at the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, not too far off of the, uh, you know, the coast of Japan. Um, and so they begin rising it to the surface, raising it. Mm-hmm. They begin raising it to the surface, but then uh, it starts to kind of rise on its own and have its own independent force. And uh, lastly, it just sort of comes up and, and breaches the water at, at an angle where it looks like it's, it's sort of leaning to the side, not unlike the Titanic right before it burst in half. So mm. uh, kind of a... 45 degree angle but um yeah it's it's definitely it's a cool image yeah classic toho you know <laughs> uh stuff and while this is happening uh the military uh is inter- finally intervening against Godzilla uh cuz they didn't learn the first time or the second time or the 17th time right. uh so uh they're intervening but they have a new missile, which, uh, according to one commander, I guarantee you this will go through Godzilla like crap through a goose, which was uh, pirated from Patton uh, from his famous opening speech. This is the English dub in Japanese. It's just, this missile will go through just about anything. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You wonder why they haven't tried this before, uh, but at least they're trying something different. Yeah. Um. The real question is why they're even still using regular missiles at all. They should be mounting an attack composed solely of these weapons. Yes. Um, but uh, thanks to these weapons blowing at Godzilla, some G-cells uh, are strewn. strewn. And uh, Mr. Shinoda gets his hands on a couple. Uh, afterwards. Afterwards. <laughs> but <laughs> during, uh, as we mentioned before, several very cool shots, um, different types of shots than we've ever seen before in a Godzilla movie. This, The way this attack sequence is staged, to me, is the most engaging and exciting uh, battle between Godzilla and like a group of human mm-hmm. forces in, in tanks, or in, sorry, in vehicles. 
probably since uh, Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, where you know the red uh, red talons or whatever, red scorpions, red bamboo. Yeah, red bamboo. The the uh, the, the squadron of r- red bamboo uh, fighter jets. That was like the last time one of those scenes was actually you know fun to watch. Yeah, and um, this one tops that. Uh, which makes sense because it's 30 years later. But, um, yeah, the, the, the main kind of centerpiece of this sequence is when several of the Defense Force uh, F-15s uh, pull this crazy bottleneck maneuver where they all look like they're, they're all headed at Godzilla at different, uh, you know, angles, uh, you know, all coming at the ground from, like, um, head-on, 45 degrees, 90 degrees, and they all kind of get to his base and and, um, fire missiles at him, and all the missiles explode at the same time, and then they all sort of, they're flying kind of close to the surface, uh, you know, close to the ground, and they all pull up at the Mm -hmm. same time, and it's just this really cool image, you know, and it just strikes you like, you know, the scale is all wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. the jets look really big. And if you go back and look at it, it you know, but like it's, uh, they're trying. Yeah. <laughs> the point is they're trying yeah. to do something, you know, which is great. Yeah. Um, much more engaging, you know, like missiles being shot like under bridges and you see it from oh, like yeah. a missile's point of view. Yeah. And it's like stuff like that was definitely done in like, uh, early, you know, the, in some of the earlier Toho monster movies and like uh, the Mysterians, for example, you get like planes eye view of like the, the, the jet, like flying in, you know, something you'd see in like star Wars, but it's happening in a Godzilla movie. And so this is just like really engaging and it's not like, Ooh, we have fancy stuff. It's, you know, this is action, you know, right. lots of cutting, lots of, you know, this is happening. This is happening. So you understand exactly what's going on, but it's happening really Right. And another very interesting thing about this sequence is Godzilla doesn't destroy any anything. Yeah. Like he doesn't destroy any of the tanks or any of the jets. Um which is pretty cool. Like he's just sort of taking it and he's you know, he's just kinda like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, like he's not even engaged in the situation, you know, but he's not slaughtering everybody, mm-hmm. which is an improvement. Um But all of a sudden this this meteor, and I'm using quotation marks because I know you can see me, uh, kind of wakes up, straightens itself out. It looks like it's going to fall over, and the, the ship uh, next to it, uh, with Kataguri's subordinate aboard, uh, sort of looks up, and it looks like he's going to get flattened, but then mm-hmm. it kind of straightens itself out, and uh, kind of, it's, it's floating probably, I don't know, 200, 300 feet above the surface of the water. And now it looks like a giant rock flying saucer, basically. And uh, it makes a beeline for Godzilla. Hmm. Uh, and you're like, what? what is going... Like, it's you're completely... <laughs> like, what is happening? But in a good way. It's sort yeah. of a cool, like, you know, what's going to happen next thing? Hmm. And uh, this rock saucer uh, i'll call it sort of kind of comes over and sort of like investigates godzilla and everyone's just kind of like stops and sort of what they're doing just like wait a minute and this thing kind of looks at godzilla godzilla's like what's what is happening and then 
the uh, the shoulder cannon on this thing, for lack of a better word, uh, just shoots Godzilla with his energy ray for absolutely no reason. And uh, blows Godzilla back like two or three miles mm-hmm. through like a couple of buildings. And it's just like, that's exactly what I wanted to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they, the filmmakers have literally read my mind right now, you know, like, thank you. <laughs> that's what should be fucking happening in these movies. You know, like monsters starting shit for no reason at all. Like a good Amazing. old redneck barber, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like... This is like this is like the fight in like Roadhouse or yes. something. Where it's just like I don't know, and then you just pick up a chair and break <laughs> it over a guy's face who wasn't even doing anything, you know? Uh, or like the scene in the Wolverine, where Wolverine punches the guy who wasn't even doing anything. You know, it's that barroom brawl mentality where you just hit the next guy, and that's that's like, oh, amazing. <laughs> So Godzilla gets up, he shoots some of his fire breath at this rock flying saucer thing. Which melts away some yeah. of the uh, more dirt and rock and, you know, fish shit, you know, right. off the front. And there's a metallic layer underneath. Yes. Uh-huh. So it looks like this may just be an actual flying saucer and not just a rock flying saucer. Yes. We don't know. So, uh, Shinoda gets uh, a hold of some of those uh, uh, G-cells that are just, you know, a strewn everywhere because it's Japan. He finds them in a giant footprint. Yes. and uh, Which looked like it took a very long time to make. Yep. Thank goodness for non-union filmmaking. But, uh, <laughs> just kidding. But, uh, hey, they already have the graves dug. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn it. Horrible taste. So, so, uh, Shinoda gets the G cell. Uh, and for some reason, with Katagari's, uh, underling, uh, he decides to do an experiment. Uh, and he looks at the fact that the G cell seems to remain intact. Uh, why does this happen? Well, through, uh, what, the scientific method or whatever that bullshit is uh, that we learned in eighth grade, uh, he decides to do an experiment. He destroys the nucleus of w- of one of the cells, and he notices that these two, or the, these two, like, alien-like things that are floating around within the cell reanimate the nucleus, the, the destroyed nucleus. So he finds out that G cells contain uh, something that uh, recovers the destroyed tissue. Uh, and just as he's about to take this amazing discovery somewhere. Which he uh, names Regenerator G1. Regenerator cells. G1, yes. So uh, Katagari's underling uh, inexplicably steals the CDs uh, right in front of him. He just, you know, pulls them out and says, I've got them. <laughs> I think he says, yoink. Yoink. <laughs> He doesn't actually say yoink, but he might as well be like, yoink? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm a douchebag. So, uh, Katagari uh, then receives this information. I don't really know what he does with that information. Yeah. That never really comes up, but no. he now knows. Yeah. He now knows. Yeah. Um, so, Shinoda has lost face. Um, and uh, while this is going on, the... Rock Saucer has uh, landed on top of a building, uh, so the entire building has been evacuated. Lots of people are, you know, running away. 
Uh, and while the media is in a frenzy, uh, Yuki notices that something um, that the information on her laptop keeps getting skewed, as if someone were trying to get information from her laptop. Uh, that's a little weird, but uh, it's only after a while that everyone realizes is that this saucer is stealing computer data, and for some reason wants data on Godzilla specifically. So it's hacking all good computers just to find this information. So it's sort of like the reverse of the ending of Independence Day where they load up a human program into the computer against right. its will. This yeah. this flying saucer alien life form thing, which they determined that it's been lying in the bottom of the ocean for 65 million years. Mm-hmm. Uh, now has the ability to extract uh, computer programming and, and file information mm-hmm. um, and, and decrypt it, I guess, and yep. read it, which is, uh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Shindoa, for reasons that are a little, uh, you know, vague, decides to go into this building that the saucer has planted itself atop. And because I think he has to get the regenerator G1 cell files back, I guess that's why yeah. he's going. But um, Kataguri, being the uh, logical guy he is, realizes that uh, we skipped over a little bit. The the um, I guess the the saucer is more powerful during the day. Yes, and it's solar night, power. Yeah, it's solar power, which is so, why it was underwater. It did nothing, but as soon as it came to the surface, right. Because the submarine's flood, floodlights woke it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, Category's plan is to wait until the nighttime. And then he plans to attack the flying saucer by loading up these... Uh, they're like mortars? They're mortars. Yeah, they're so, like super mortars. <laughs> they're yeah. like uh, plasma mortars, yeah. I guess. They're pretty heavy duty because they have to get... Um, like the they have to do the thing from like Die Hard where they have to actually nail the uh, the bipods and the supports for them like mm-hmm. into the floor yeah or whatever which if you think about it wouldn't the mortars like fall down they would like blow I I it, it, I can't really explain this like over the the microphone but it's just like the way they're set up it's they're on the highest point of the building so you think as soon as they shoot up the mortars themselves would crash down right. all the way to the bottom floor yeah so um but logic be damned logic be damned this is Godzilla and it's fun right so. they got these mortars in place and category has, has given them i think the countdown of like 45 minutes or something now the, it, it, you know around this time uh yuki and uh, shindoa's daughter like come to like i or maybe he he like y- leads y- them in y- yuki's them. in there already right trying to figure out the information. You know, she's a journalist. She's trying to figure out what's going on. What does this machine want? And she's the one that discovers that they want the information on Godzilla. Ah, okay. So, uh, but then uh, when the Shindos come in, uh, they... uh, uh, Yuji, I believe, in trying to get the information on the G-cells, says that he'll stay, and he has the daughter and Yuki Leave. leave. Uh, because they can tell those mortars are going to go off and they know yeah. they, the point is they know the place is going to explode. Yeah. But, um, 
Shindo knows that this is his only opportunity to get the regenerator G1 cell information back, I guess. Something. Anyways, not made clear, but anyway, it, basically it sets up an artificial kind of uh, dilemma where, you know, the, 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 you've got the ticking clock of these plasma mortar things that are going to go off and, in theory, destroy this flying saucer. As well as the building it's under. Yeah, and you've got Kataguri uh, literally with his finger on the literal trigger mm. of, of, of these uh, plasma mortars. So, um, yeah. Um, Yuki and Shindo's daughter, like, they leave, they try to contact the defense force and say, you know, this, there's a man that's still inside this building, you know, don't destroy it or whatever. And the message gets to Katagori and he, he figures out that it's, uh, uh, Shinoda and he's like, oh, good. If I do this, then Shinoda will be dead as well, and I hate him. So yeah, continue with the order. Let's just blow him up. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I think that that is the point where it's like, okay, now he's yeah. and now he's, justified the means. Yeah, now he's evil. Yeah, because okay? <laughs> he's like he's willing to just you know kill Shinoda. Um, so Shinoda, I guess he gets the information that he needs, and he um starts to make his way down to the bottom of the building, but by that point it's too late and category hits the um hits the trigger and the plasma mortars go off and they destroy kind of the top three or four floors of the building. And um it kind of jostles Shinoda and, and but he's still kind of making his way down the building, but then that pisses off the flying saucer. <laughs> and the flying saucer unleashes a uh Independence Day style downward like plasma beam thing, which kind of goes through floor by floor and destroys the whole building. And so you've got a very John McClane-esque sequence where Shinoda has to escape by jumping on to the wires of the elevator shaft and hold on to the to, to the cables of the, the you know the the elevator and slide down them. Uh, which I thought was pretty hardcore because he doesn't—he doesn't have anything wrapped around his hands. It's just his flesh. Yeah. And it screws up his hands, like it cuts his hands all up, which I thought was like a really kind of realistic uh, detail mm. to leave in there, and, and adds a lot of kind of grit and cool actiony stuff, like you know, oh, I don't know, like. That was cool. I appreciated that because that is exactly what would happen. I mean, actually, he would fall to his death and be incinerated. But, like, at least he doesn't, like, slide down 300 feet and his hands are fine, you know, uh, which would have been completely absurd. So, anyways, um, basically, the building gets destroyed, but Shinoda makes it out just barely. And it's, it's, again... To uh, reference backdraft, uh, you, you have the scene where uh, Yuki and Shinoda's daughter are um, trying to make it uh, through underground tunnels connected to the base of the building. And uh, they're like, oh, it's hopeless now. It's a dead end. And Shinoda kind of comes out through the wreckage, you know, in slow motion. And he's okay. And he, there's the reunion with the daughter. And you actually feel something yeah. because these characters are actually uh, real characters yeah. and making <laughs> decisions that are based on, you know, things that make sense. Uh, so, and have and something then, to do with the plot. <laughs> and then speaking of making sense, Godzilla naturally shows up. Right. You know? 
Uh, late to the party, as always, but uh, always ready to add his two cents. Uh, so seeing this flying saucer, uh, Godzilla approaches, and then the saucer decides to land on another building that's perfectly intact. So, uh, you know, so much for trying to destroy it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's so, it, like it sucks the energy from that building, too? Well, yes, and it begins, uh, it can control the wires in the ground. It, like, morphs oh, them right, into yeah. ropes. It fuses yeah. them, like, into ropes. And that they, part was uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Finally, this is this there, makes perfect Toho sci-fi sense. Right. That's... The, it, it gains control of the electrical cables uh, throughout the city and uses them to, like, uh, drag Godzilla all over the place and, like, just throw him into buildings and mm. shit. Yeah, that part was awesome. And then we find out that the Millennium, or the, the aliens... Uh, oh, w- w- they, wait, they, wait, the Godzilla isn't quite down for the count. Yes. And he's kind of stumbling around, and the flying saucer abandons the cable uh, technique mm. and just kind of... Goes over to Godzilla, and, you know, this is Godzilla 2000, mm-hmm. you know, filmed in 1999. And so the buildings now, and uh, I think they said the, it's the Shindoku district, so I think we're, this is Tokyo. Mm-hmm. The buildings are gigantic. Yeah. I mean, the, the buildings dwarf Godzilla. Um, so, like, the, the, the flying saucer goes over and uh, just sort of, like pushes one of the buildings like the half half of one of these buildings mm-hmm. down on Godzilla and it just like the explosion that happens when this top of this building like hits Godzilla is like one of the largest on-screen detonations in the series so far mm-hmm. and it's all like just debris and rubble it's not actual you know it's not just uh pyrotechnic or whatever yeah. there's actual mass to it the sound design and like the visual effects uh, communicate mm-hmm. that the 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 massive scale of the damage. <laughs> uh, again, if this was the high size series, it would just be like you know big pyrotechnic explosion number two hundred forty nine or whatever, and it would have zero impact. But because it's uh, you know they're trying some new things, it's devastating to Godzilla, and it's like it actually you know it's it, it's 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 spectacular. Yeah. Um. Then, oh, yes. then millennia. The, the millennia, millennia, which are the alien cell creatures that I guess live in this ship that doesn't have a door, uh, they extract a bit of the what uh, regenerator regenerating yeah G cells. Yeah, they they kind of fly over Godzilla and the regenerator G one. I mean, that's what uh, Shinoda says. Yeah, but. Again, anything could be happening there. Yeah. But uh, what, what, what seems to be happening is that the millennia uh, use that and morph into a large alien-like creature. And, and when like we say the millennia, yeah. specifically what we're trying to say is that just the flying saucer flies and is hovering over Godzilla. And then it, you know, these sort of... <laughs> Uh, magical sparkles and yeah. sort of the CG kind of looks like cells replicating yeah. and, and sort of smooths out. And that is when you get the separate entity from the yes. saucer. Yes. Um, so this millennia looks like the big jellyfish yeah. with big eyes. And then it begins to morph. 
into a yeah, it's already morphed, and then it starts going rar rar. Then it morphs again, yeah, into something big. But we don't see because Godzilla wakes up, blows up half the saucer, and that lands in front. So, you know, he makes his approach, and then suddenly out pops Orga. Orga. Yeah. Orga's on the scene. Orga's on the scene. And Orga may not be the most creative monster, but definitely pretty fun because they do something that hasn't really been done in a long time, a good old-fashioned melee fight. You know, a little bit of beam now and then, but for the most part, this is a big Clash of Titans rumble. Orga actually punches Godzilla at one point, which I was very appreciative of. Godzilla bites Orga. Orga bites Godzilla. Yeah. And then they find out that Orga can actually, because, you know, the cells is actually trying to turn itself into a Godzilla clone, which kind of would suck, because Orga seems to be doing pretty good up thus far. Right. You know, and then Godzilla keeps blowing away bits of Orga. Orga keeps regenerating, because I guess his G-cells are more powerful. And they combined... Uh, CG uh, with the suit in a very clever way where it's like the parts that Godzilla blows off are like regenerating so and that part is CG and that looks good because you know it's a regenerating cells it sort of looks like a blob anyways so it's like that fits well that's actually smart very Um, and, and and it's seamless with the rest of the costume so it like it fits in there so um, and so you've got CG parts to this monster as it's fighting Godzilla. Really kind of neat uh, stuff going on there. Um, so this goes on for a little while. Um, Shinoda meets up with Katagiri, and it's, uh, you know, like, oh, you're still alive. Right. Stuff like that. But uh, the main focus then yeah. turns to the fact that Godzilla blows up the saucer, keeps blowing up bits of Orga. So Orga decides this is a good time to eat Godzilla. Right. So he, it turns out he could actually open his lower jaw and... Uh, he can create, un- yeah, he can unhinge it like yeah. a snake. Yeah. So, uh, and somehow the octo-vagina inside Orga's mouth uh, lures Godzilla in. So, Godzilla goes in, and at I this point... I think it's a deliberate move on Godzilla's part. Yeah, I, that, that's what people have speculated, that this is like Godzilla actually using his head. Like, yeah. Godzilla knows what he's doing, but uh, at this point, uh, one can only say that Orga is giving monster head. That's in quotations. Monster head. So. Uh, and Orga, the whole time it's fighting Godzilla, it's becoming more and more like Godzilla. Yes. So at this sort of end, uh, you know, sequence to the fight, he's he's becoming greener. His face is becoming more and more like Godzilla's. He's growing uh, spikes on the back. Yeah. Of his... When when he tries to eat Godzilla, he begins growing spikes, and I think it's good. What happens next? Because I think Orga was becoming very close to being uh, not being able to be defeated. Yeah, like he was very close to becoming invincible. This was this was good. Uh, basically, uh, he gets Godzilla about halfway eaten, swallowed, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, to say that his Godzilla's spikes light up is really sort of selling it short. Godzilla's entire body just turns like bright. Neon, it's like bright white, uh, and all of a sudden, there's this gigantic gigantor explosion, and everyone who is watching the fight gets knocked down, 
and everyone like it just really like uh, you know knocks everyone down and and um, it's it's definitely a, the the KO hit and then you see what has happened and Godzilla's blown Orga up in a way where it cannot regenerate. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then uh, after you know looking over Orga's like disintegrating corpse. Godzilla makes his way over to the building which uh, Katagiri and Shinoda and uh, Yuki are. And uh, Yuki is trying to get... Or Yuji, sorry, is trying to get Yuki and Io like, to leave. And he wants to, you know, because even though this guy tried to kill him, he is not, you know, he is not him. So he tries to get Katagiri to leave because this is fucking Godzilla. This right. is, you know, an animal that has no problem with taking life, as we have so clearly seen. Right. But uh, Katagiri, you know, just being the obsessive man that he is, like, this is the true, like, come full circle moment for his character, where it's, you know, I haven't seen Godzilla this close before, and he, you know, lights up a cigarette, he has no fear, and they exchange looks, and then, of course, he well, goes... Uh, he, yeah, he, he yells, Godzilla! And before he finishes, Godzilla just, like, punches... <laughs> The building where uh, category is uh, just just smites him. Yeah, <laughs> just I mean, talk about you know hand of Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, just this is precision destruction. I mean, Godzilla knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, because he he spares uh, Shinoda and, and you know the others. He just kills category, <laughs> and then he walks away. Yeah. So like he, you get the idea that Godzilla like disliked Category. Like mm. the feeling was mutual somehow. Yeah. Uh, so it sort of begins to tap into some of the uh, spirituality that kind of sneaks its way into some of the other, uh, you know, Millennium movies. But um, the connection because, because I mean, you know, Sh- Shinoda himself says, you know, I think there's a little bit of Godzilla in all of us. Which I think was kind of cheesy, but I think it could have been uh, better said, you know, I think uh, we are the same or, or, or something. Right. I think there was a better way to phrase that, yeah. but with it being an English dub, you right. know, it's, you know, it's camp. Right. You know. Um, so, yes, Godzilla in you know, something that really warmed my heart <laughs> when I was watching this for the first time. Uh, kind of takes a couple of steps away from that building and uh, turns around to the rest of, of Tokyo and just lays out this just swath of of devast like of devastation mm-hmm. uh, and, and it completely wipes out like half the city with his fire breath and it's like it's what you've been waiting for really this whole time at a Godzilla movie for him to just be like yep I defeated the monster and now I'm gonna nuke the rest of the city <laughs> you know cause like this isn't like I'm not defending or saving jack shit yeah. you know everyone's still gonna die <laughs> um, so I was like yes <laughs> this is <laughs> this is how it should end yeah. and then Credits roll. <laughs> so traditional Ifabuke music. Right. So, you know, all in all, like, and I think I like it more watching it now than I did the first time I saw it. Yeah. It just, there's just something about it. And even though the special effects, many of the special effects don't even hold up, there's just still a charm about it, a freshness to it. Just the fact that it knows, it, it can be 
appropriately self-conscious. It's, we know this is a movie about a man in a suit blowing up buildings, <laughs> fighting another man in a suit, but we can still have fun with this. We can still make it interesting. Right. There's still a reason to make this other than just making another one for money. You know, there's still, maybe if that is the ultimate goal, we can still have fun with it and still sort of explore different things with it, you know, yeah. which uh, you just didn't get at all in the high size series. And, and, um, or if you did, all of the attempts were miscalculated, I think. Yeah. But more of this stuff hits directly uh, dead on, you know, dead center. So definitely a, a energetic sort of refreshing reset on the series. Um, please join us next week for the direct sequel, follow-up, Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, at least in the year, actual year, 2000. Yeah. We will say that uh, Godzilla 2000 in Japan was released in 1999, so it joined that small group of films that had the year 2000 in its name, but didn't actually come out in the year 2000. Blues Brothers 2000, I'm looking at you. 1998 yes. uh, for, for, the, for that <clears throat> uh, Dan Aykroyd uh, sequel there. But uh, <clears throat> yes, so Megaguirus was, was actually released in the year 2000, and Godzilla 2000 was released in 2000 in the United States. Yes. And uh, that um, so was back when sense. 2000 meant something, because it was, oh, Y2K. So at midnight, either the computers are all going to blow up or we're going to be living like the Jetsons. That's that's what's going to happen. Right. You know, <laughs> One that, or the other. Neither yeah. happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, we didn't know about smartphones yet. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I wanted real quick to say uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, definitely check us out on Facebook at the Godzilla Pod War Hour. Um, my name is Michael Kelly. I'm on Twitter. My handle is um, Godzilla Pod War. And uh, we are on Tumblr. Yes. And we continue to update it. And uh, yeah, we uh, another shout out to uh, Emerson Green came up with another great meme that really yes. uh, kind of. Boy, really succinctly summed up my feelings on the character Miki <laughs> from uh, the High Side series. So, bullseye, Mr. Green. Um, right on target. And, you know, any other, uh, you know, fan art, definitely encouraged. Keep it coming. Whatever. We're you want to discuss eyes. something, send us a message. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk this thing over. <laughs> um, hmm, what else? Seems as though I'm forgetting something. Can you think of anything, sir? I cannot think of anything at the moment. Uh, let's see. We did Tumblr. Uh, did we mentioned iTunes. Oh yes. Um, you know, please, please subscribe to us on iTunes and and, and rate us. Yes. And uh, and and comment on on you know how you think we're doing. Yeah, it's uh, totally free. So this is uh, something you can. As always, uh, encourage your friends and family members to all enjoy for free. Absolutely free. So, yeah. When it comes to Godzilla 2000, you can't take the heat. Run. <laughs>